0: Welcome to Building Teams with Teams & Co, where we explore how leaders can empower their
1: teams, achieve ambitious strategies, and deliver an exceptional customer experience. Views expressed by guests are their own and may not reflect the views of Teams & Co.
0: Well, hey, everybody, welcome into this week's edition of the Building Teams with Teams & Co. podcast. This is Mike Vaglis, your host here with Tracy, uh, the president of Teams & Co., and uh, the other host of this podcast. And I'm really excited to welcome in Tim Kakir. Tim is a growth consultant. He is the co-founder and growth lead of Juno Talent, and he has a lot of other things uh, that he is working on. So, Tim Tracy, welcome in. It's great to see you both. Hello, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for the warm welcome,
1: guys.
2: Yeah, thanks Tim. Thanks for joining us. Um, you know, I think we're really excited to have you. Um and we're really excited to learn a little bit more about your growth consulting and and how you achieve that with the uh, the leaders and companies you work with. So, maybe we could just start there. You could give our listeners a little bit, you know, of a background on you and your work and uh, how this all got started.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, well, I mean, my growth consultancy is it's an interesting story because, um, I started my career really in sales and I did, I did the, the hard sales basically door to door in California. I used to sell Turkish carpets because I'm half Turkish. So I used to sell carpets door to door. That was, that was really, really bad back then. <laughs> I was young and, you know, I wanted to make some money. So it, it was fun. But uh, then I realized that, oh my God, I don't want to keep doing this. I don't want to force people into buying something they don't need. So so I changed to marketing then. I discovered marketing. And that's when I, I moved to London, uh, to UK. And I start really loving presenting products to the people that might need the product, right? Instead of just forcing them and finding the people that needs the products. So that started to, to, to bring me into uh, media, media companies, publishing companies. From there on, I love digital. I love tools. I love softwares. I love anything that is tech. I'm, I'm quite addicted to that. So I got into uh, the tech startup scene and there I heard about this cool thing, which was back then was cool. Now it's not cool, uh, growth hacking, right? Growth hacker, growth hacking. <laughs> that was super cool back then. Everybody was like, oh, I'm a growth hacker. You're a growth, you're not a growth hacker, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, um, so I went and I did a growth hacking uh, school or a course or something like that. And I called myself a growth hacker for a few years. And, and then I realized that those little hacks they're not sustainable. So then I, I I stepped back a little bit. I zoomed out and um, I start calling myself a growth consultant because I start bringing my sales, my marketing knowledge. I got into products and my tech knowledge to be able to call myself a growth consultant and not just a marketeer, not just a growth hacker, but helping the businesses with growth, basically from uh, systems, tooling, knowledge management, collective intelligence, and so on. And that's why I call myself a growth consultant. Uh, I help usually tech companies, mainly um, deep tech companies. Startups, round A investment, round B investment is where really I see uh, where my value comes into play. Uh, Helping founders, leaders uh, on making the right decisions, making sure that they are uh, data informed and not just data driven, because I'm against data driven. If you've seen it in places,
0: we can talk about it later. So that's kind of what I do uh, day, day to day. That's awesome. Tim. I, I want st- to we were talking in the pre-show about your just life background, man, and you uh, you have lived all over the place. So I I know that we've got a bunch of questions on the professional side of things, but would love to just get to know you a little bit more as a person as well and and hear about your very very global background.
1: Yeah, sure. I I was born in Turkey uh, in Istanbul uh to a Turkish father, a French mother. Uh and um Turkey was really fun uh, until 15. At 15, I couldn't do it anymore. I was like, oh my God, I want to go explore the world. (laughs) And and I think back then, um, my parents and I didn't get along really well because I had ADHD, hyperactivity. And and I was really bad at school, and I was in a French school in Istanbul, and and they didn't like how I was learning or not mm. learning. Uh, so 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 my parents and I looked at the map, and we're like, "What's the furthest destination that we can send our son?" Right. Wow. <laughs> and so 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 they sent me to Seattle to a host family. Now we're best friends. Don't get me wrong; it's been many many years we're best friends in my parents. <laughs> uh, but back then it was like, you know what? We can't handle each other anymore. So I went to Seattle and um, I finished my studies there. Uh, then I, I went to LA. Uh, I I stayed in LA about six years. That's where I started my career, really, my sales career, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and yeah, then I went to London, UK, where I found a new career for myself. Well, which we didn't speak about, but I got into music. I'm a sound engineer as well uh, and music producer, a DJ, and that's what I did for a few years. But I realized that I was marketing everything I was doing. I was marketing my studio, I was marketing my music, I was marketing all the artists and so on. And then I was like, okay, yeah, I'm a marketeer. Um, so yeah, I, uh, then after London, I had the chance to move to Barcelona, Spain, which also Tracy went uh, went to school here. And uh, now, I, but Tracy, you've lived, I think more in Northern Europe, as you mentioned. I love, yep. I love the southern, I need the sun. I need that beach, you know, because the beach is so nice and you can just relax. And the sun, the energy, the vitamin Ds are super important. Uh, so, yeah, I speak four languages thanks to my parents. So English is definitely not my first language. So sometimes I still sound silly, but, you know, I, I try my best. Um, and um, and that's, yeah, that's kind of my personal things. In, the, in my free time, I love uh, Formula One. So I'm looking forward to the season to start of Formula One. Um, and I'm a sailor. I'm a captain and I sail whenever I can. Oh yeah. And I have a baby now, a seven month old baby. So I'm a father now as well. That's a new challenge that, uh, that is very exciting. <laughs> Amazing.
2: You definitely sound like you're, uh, you're staying busy, Tim. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I agree with you. I, I mean, I, I did, I've lived in a lot of great places. Um, I joked for a while that I only lived in rainy climates cause I was in like <laughs> Portland, Oregon and London and the Netherlands and, um, moving to Barcelona was, was quite the treat. I lived there for a couple of years when I went to a Sade business school and uh, a really lovely place to live and, and, a, and a great place to study. Um, one of the things that kind of stands out in your background that we used to talk a lot about at Asade, and, and one of the big reasons I attended was it was a really, truly global community. You mm-hmm. got to learn global business because you were working side by side with you know students from 45 different countries, and you got to really learn from each other versus only learning from the professors. And And I just would love to hear kind of... It sounds like you've you've kind of taken a similar track where you've had... Lots of different types of careers and maybe different functional areas, different countries. How do you think that helps you, you know, as you're kind of working with organizations and, and focused on growth, how does having that diverse background help you bring teams together to achieve success?
1: Uh, well, Great question. I mean, I think that uh, the diversity is very important on culture, understanding other people, where they come from, their backgrounds. You can look from different angles at the problems and so on. So that helps me as a professional. But me as a professional, I can help other professionals because I can kind of relate. Maybe they're not exactly from the same backgrounds or countries and so on. But since we've seen different countries and different languages and different cultures, as I mentioned, things are very different in different places. And we forget this sometimes, especially in, in now in remote companies and so on it's very hard to relate uh, to people who you know uh, live in in different areas Um, so I think that helps a lot speaking the different languages uh, opened me uh, many many doors in sales in marketing in operations in growth uh, and so on Um, and yeah I've never people ask me like you guys ask me where I'm from I don't even like to say I'm half Turkish, half French. I, I'm I'm a world citizen. I love the world and, and this is our world. You know, it's mother nature. I can live anywhere I want, you know, and I want to. I love to change locations every five every five to eight years or so because it's a new challenge. I meet new people, I I learn new cultures, I see new problems that I want to solve, and and it gets my brain going. Cause if not, I feel very flat and and, and bored. So I ha-
0: I need that stimulation at all times. Yeah, that's fascinating, Tim. And I think that um, it is such a global world. I mean, I think about the people that I work with on an everyday basis and it ranges from, you know, Brazil to the Philippines, to Australia, to Europe, uh, to, you know, to Berlin. Like it's amazing the breadth of people that we meet with just on a, on a regular basis. And I am so jealous. I speak one language, And so I, I love the, uh, just the, the range and, and what that brings. So that's, I don't know, that's just really cool. And and I, I appreciate your perspective and I'm sure that that brings a lot of empathy for people, you know, that you work with wherever they're from and, and from a lot of different cultural backgrounds. Well, Mike, you speak the most important language, luckily. It's English, right? So so, so, so that's good. Yeah, I, I I keep telling some of my Brazilian counterparts that I'm going to learn Portuguese one of these days. Um, So that'll come in at some point in the next couple of years, hopefully. But Tim, I want to dig a little bit more into your role as a growth consultant, your role as a founder, um, and particularly, you know, talking a little bit about the stage of company that you work with right i think growth and the imperative for growth mm-hmm. looks different if you're talking about you know an early stage startup who's working to find product market fit you know certainly growth and thinking about channel and thinking about things like that is is super important but it sounds like you may be more focused on a little bit further along in the maturity curve when an organization has found product market fit maybe at the stage where they're growing the team and and putting together some process uh, out of the chaos of early stage startup. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about the sweet spot from like a maturity perspective of organizations that you work with?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that it's, I'm more focused on the round day stuff because they can pay me, yeah. <laughs> right? So uh, I, I actually love the very, very early stage. I love... I love when there's nothing. I love that chaos. I love starting from scratch. And that really its what stimulates my mind, you know, making sure that we build the best tooling in the beginning, the best processes, and, and we build on top of it. But obviously, as a consultant, uh, you know uh, we all got to get paid. Now that I have a baby, as well, is even uh, is even more important. Yeah. So I'm I'm able to help companies on the round day investment because they still have a massive um, area for growth. Which usually it's it's their their tech stack, their tooling, uh, the collaboration between the teams. Uh, usually their frameworks they're using or their processes they're using are not as collaborative as one uh, might ex- expect. And um, and I I love to get my hands dirty there. But uh, what I've seen it's that after about a round b investment on on startups when we talk about tech companies hopefully they already have something that kind of works and, and and it's just putting more fuel into the machine right so so i love to build the machine and building the machine really starts really on the early stage as we mentioned but but when you're getting that round the investment and you get you get some vcs and so on and, and they're going to put money behind you, they're like, okay, what is next that you're going to do? And usually that's where you're, you you want to change all your tooling, right? If you're using um, a, a CRM on your Notion because you just build it like a, a very easy CRM that you've built on a spreadsheet or or Notion or something like that, then when you get the money, you're like, okay, I need to go to HubSpot, I need to go to Salesforce, I need to get some re- serious tools. Uh, and that's where really I love to uh, to help founders and their teams on making sure that we have the right tools, that we have the right processes, um, and uh, going back a little bit more to what you said, Mike, I think I think every company has can have growth in every every mm-hmm. type of of investment, or if they're good, new features, new products, uh, new regions, if they open uh, to new countries and so on. But the one thing that we have to remember is that is that we should. Take the time of thinking about that because people don't. What I've realized, and this is why I tell to a lot of founders, is like, oh, they're like, wow, we're fast growth. We're growing. We're growing super quickly. I'm like, yeah, of course. That's great. But before you grow too much, make sure that you're ready for that growth. Yeah right and and sadly we're seeing this right now right with multiple companies getting rid of their employees of 2000 3000 4000 people they're getting rid because they're downscaling because they got too excited about about scaling and about growth and they just think that uh, employee count its growth so I've changed my mind a lot and I've changed my mind to a lot of my clients is I look at revenue per employee instead, right? I think that's so much more important than the number of employee and the revenue on its own. Make sure that you're doing the revenue per employee and make sure that you're scaling that accordingly. Because if you do that, then I think you have a sustainable growth. You have a sustainable uh, business that will that will grow on its kind of not on its own, obviously. But if you've put the right people, you've hired the right people, you've given them the best tools, uh, you've you've built the best processes with them, and everybody agrees, they all believe in your mission, the company will grow, right? And and this is what I'm trying to explain to founders uh, all the time is like. You're hiring these people for a reason. You know, don't, don't be like, oh, I, I'm too overwhelmed. No, zoom out, help them, be a servant leader. You'll see this a lot on, on my LinkedIn lately. I, I'm talking a lot about servant leadership. It's something that I'm, I'm trying. So this type of companies that you mentioned, Mike, from any kind of stage, I think where they win is when the, when the founders or the CEOs and the C-levels start approaching it as a servant leadership and they empower their teams because then the teams will grow the company and you'll feel much more relaxed with that growth.
2: Timmy, I think there's a lot that you said there that, that we talk about a lot as well, right? I mean, you want to make sure that people have the tools and resources and processes to be successful. And the process piece for us is where we notice a lot of companies kind of get stuck, right? Maybe they don't have clear cross-functional team processes, or maybe somebody's not clear on how their goals align to the overall company strategy. So they're you know, not sure how to prioritize within their day. Um and the process piece is kind of the the least fun part, right? Like, it's not the, like, you know, people are usually like, oh, I want to be in marketing. I want to be kind of in this fast-paced, like, kind of customer-facing action. Um, the process behind the scenes are are usually the places people don't want to spend a ton of time. So how do you work with these organizations to, you know, really kind of switch the focus to say, okay, we have to grow a strong foundation before we start to kind of put things on that foundation and how do you reorient the team to the importance of those processes and those tools and and getting it right Mm -hmm. at the start
1: it's uh, i mean i love processes (laughs) so
2: (laughs) 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 that's what i guessed
1: as well i think i think that um people think processes are boring right because they they remember the old school a Google Doc or a spreadsheet. You have your master processes, you have your sub processes and it looks boring, right? It's a bunch of text, and you're like step one, step two, step three. And, and it gets really, really boring, right? So, so I love to look at my processes in much more an interactive way, right? So I'll make a document. The document will have also a Loom video, a recording of the person doing that process. Uh, there will be uh, always a flow chart. The document will be quite, um, if I may say, it will be quite sexy, right? <laughs> I'd like to read that document you know that that's where i I really i really do focus on making sure those documents those pages on notion on google i mean google i don't like google docs for this type of stuff anymore we have such great tools now to document things making sure that they look really really sexy they look very very easy to understand if you're more visual you look at the flow chart if you're even more visual you'll watch the video and then you have the text there as well and when you give that people go like oh okay we can do that with processes now right yes we're in 20 Twenty twenty two. You don't have to have a process on a whiteboard or or on a Google Doc and be super boring, right? You can start even integrating some automations to those processes already. So when you check box, when you check something in the document or in the Notion document, it can automatically trigger something else. It can trigger your task management. It can trigger a, a report. When you start showing this to people and when you're showing that they're actually gaining time and they, they don't have to do the low cognitive part, um, the low cognitive work anymore. And they can focus more on high cognitive work on more creative work, on the collective intelligence of bringing the teams together and the, and the creativity. Then they're like, Tim, can we spend a bit more time with you on these processes? Can you help <laughs> us make better processes? And then they enjoy their work, right? That's where I focus.
0: That's where I help them at least. Yeah, I love that. And Tim, you've got a, a podcast, Tool Time with Tim. Tool time, tool time, Tim, tool time, yeah. Tim. I wonder you may need to work in the the phrase "sexy process" in there somewhere, like "sexy processes," because um, I think that that is so de- <laughs> sexy tools. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but but I think it's it, it's so true, right? Documenting process is uh, is super important, and having clear expectations on. <laughs> how things get done and and making things easier and saving time. But you're right. We so often think about that as the non-sexy thing and using tools and capabilities to bring efficiencies, uh, is nothing but goodness. But you're right that I am one of those founders where I'm like, man, the last thing I want to talk about is process. Although I recognize it's an, it's important to do. So I like that take on it, like bringing some excitement and energy into Something that most of us would look at and be like, yeah, I, I don't want to think about that.
1: <laughs> uh, and, and Mike, make sure to involve your team, right? Usually founders uh, and directors, VPs or whatever, all, all these people, they like they build a process and they, they just give it to their team and they're like, here's the process, this is what you do. And then you as a team member, you're like, I don't want to do what you tell me to do, right? Or, or what you've designed. But if you involve them and you say, look, we're going to build this together. What do you think about that? Can I watch how you do your work? And can I help you on documenting that? Can we optimize this together? Can we help you on, on, on buying a tool or that, that you want it? You know, when you do that, suddenly you're also bringing your team together, right? And 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 then the layers of, of, of teams or of hierarchy starts disappearing, right? We're becoming more of a flat structure. And when that happens, really, I, I see progress happening day in, day out, and people want to help each other. Uh, and and then you love the process because you've built it together with your team.
2: It also makes more sense, right? Like the there's a lot of times that people like directors or VPs might make a process and they're not doing the process every day. So for them to make it more efficient, it's a little bit counterintuitive because asking people who are doing the process is is A, like to your point, much more collaborative and then also really empowering for the employee and really effective for the organization because if you've been doing a process day in and day out, you're probably the best one to say, okay, how can we improve this, right? Like, how could we make this shorter? Or where could I be talking to somebody else in the process to make this more efficient and enjoyable for all of us? And so I think both from a collaboration standpoint and also an efficiency standpoint and an empowerment standpoint, really talking to teams about what are they doing? Where do they see that they could better connect with customers? Where do they see they can better connect with their team members just makes a ton of sense. So totally agree with you on that, Tim.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, 100%, Tracy. Uh, you know, the, the one thing that, um, as you mentioned there, that I want to highlight and, and speak a, a bit about uh, about it, if you don't mind, it's... It's the directors, maybe they did that process three, five mm. years ago when they started the company, right? right? Yep. And they still think that's how how people are doing in the company. And then you're giving me that process and I'm like, oh my God, this is so old school, man. You don't even know that we're using this tool now. And, and this happens. It's okay. This is why as a director, you have to be servant and you have to be like show me how you do it or, or can I help you? You know this better than I do. This is what you do day in, day out. As long as we can keep this in our mind that they are your, I mean, I don't like this example sometimes, but they are your soldiers in the trenches that fight for the company. They are the ones, right? So you can't just be like, okay, this is the strategy. This is what we're going to do. You have to go down to that level. You have to meet together, making sure that you, you do this together. And, and I can't underline and, and highlight this enough because Every time that I get into a new client, you know, it's the same thing. They're like, "This is, this is like, oh yeah, this is how they should, should do it." I'm like, "No, you don't know that. Let's ask them." Mm-hmm. And then we ask the team, and they're like, "Yeah, that's not how we do it at all because we're already much more efficient than that." You know, so so let's not forget that. Let's make sure that um, collaborative. You know this is why I this is my new topic a lot in the last couple of years collective intelligence right this is why we hire people not to tell you exactly what to do how to do it is so that we collaborate together and we bring our intelligence together to make the best out of the process to make sure that we we optimize everything
2: Tim yeah, it's, um I'm just trying to jump on that because I'm still holding in my my mind the other thing that you said which was try not to be data driven but data informed yeah. and so would just love to hear kind of as you're thinking about these things. And um, Mike, I'll, Mike will probably jump on with a bunch of follow-up questions because he's our data expert. Um, but definitely want to hear how you're thinking about the difference between those two statements and kind of how that drives what, what organizations are doing going forward.
1: Yeah, well, I'll definitely speak a little bit about the history here, right? Um, about, let's say, 15, 20 years ago, we didn't have enough data, right? We didn't have enough tracking, enough tools, enough dashboards and so on. So what we did is we built a lot of tools, right? We built so many products and platforms and SaaS and stuff on data, data, data. Everybody got data obsessed, or I call it data drawn. Suddenly we had data from everywhere. And then everything was, oh, you have to be data-driven, data-driven. Great. Why were we becoming data-driven? We forgot about emotions. We forgot about gut feelings. We forgot about the humanity of decision-making, right? And we just put it into numbers. And numbers are great. But... Sometimes there are certain decisions you should not be data-driven at all. You should zoom out. You should be data-informed. You should look at your data and be like, okay, the data tells me this. But I run this business. I'm going to ask my team. I know the industry. I know that this is going to change in six months. Maybe maybe there's a political issue in the world, right? Maybe there, there is a pandemic, right? And when you take these into consideration, then you're like, you know what? I'm not going to do what the data tells me. I'm not going to be data-driven. But I am a smart person. I look at my data, I'm data informed, and I'm still going to, as a leader, I've also asked my team, right? I will make that decision, right? And maybe the decision might be wrong. If the decision's wrong, make sure that you learn from it so that the next decisions are are, are better. But let's not be too data obsessed. Uh, I have certain clients, when you ask them anything, you know, or you say, we're gonna do this, they're like, go back out with data. Everything has to be backed up with data. If everything was backed up with data, we wouldn't do something new, mm-hmm. right? Because the data is with things that is happening and, and so on. So to do new things, we have to we have to experiment. And sometimes the
0: experimentation doesn't come from just data. It comes from a gut feeling. Yeah. I think that's super important as well. And, and not to be you know, anti-data, but in order to say like, for instance, one of the things that we're doing right now with my business is we're extending into a new channel, right? So the old data that we have from our original channel is... Mm-hmm. It, we can't use it to make future projections. It's we need to go make a decision that's informed by market context, competitive context, etc. But ultimately, we are committed to making a decision with the information that we have, recognizing it's imperfect, and then saying, okay, what what data do we need to go collect? In order to either validate or disprove the hypothesis that we have that a new channel is going to be worth entering. And I think that it's it's challenging to resist the temptation of using existing like hindsight and hind data. If you say, hey, things are going to change, it's hard to sort of unclench your fists from that and say, OK, we're going to go do something new. Um, I, I had sort of a question on on a little bit different track and something that you mentioned earlier, this concept of servant leader. And this concept of the founder yep. or the C-suite people unclenching their fists from process and from the work that their team does and trusting the people that they hire and bringing the right people onto the team. I think that takes a lot of humility. Um, what do you find when you're working mm-hmm. with founders and C-suite people? How do you help encourage them to uh, not abdicate their responsibility, but equip and enable their team to be successful, even if that means stepping back
1: yeah, well, it's difficult. <laughs> it's difficult because uh, some characters, obviously some some founders' characters, uh, it's a lot of ego into the play, right? And and I think that's why ego is the enemy, the book and stuff. Ego is really the enemy, right? And, um, and you know, I had a lot of ego as well. I'm trying to get rid of it. It's been years that I, I really work on it as well myself. And I think that we all have some sort of ego. And, and, and really it's the ego that... That stops us from growing, right? And so when you're a big C-level on a big company, you have 700,000, whatever team members, and and you know you have some good revenue and so on and you don't go and look at what people does and how they do it and you can't help them there you're not unblocking things you're bringing new blockers right you, you keep bring, bringing new blockers all the time saying oh we're going to try this country or we're going to do this you blo- hold on we have other things that we need to unblock and and if you can't go there and, and and see these things and as a leader if your role is not to unblock things for your team then then you're not a good leader you should not be leading that team right i'm sorry but it. it is what it is your 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 role is to serve your people because you are a community. You're a mission-driven community, right? I had a post on LinkedIn that that went quite well. It's I said, a company doesn't equal to family, right? Because we used to say, oh, you know, hey, it's a family, it's a family, it's a family. And by saying that, basically, we we expect you to work long hours. We expect you to stay in the office almost every night and so on. But instead, let's zoom back out. And no, we are a a mission-driven community. When we say we're a mission-driven community, then the layers uh, of hierarchy doesn't really matter in my opinion, right? There's no dad, there's no son, you know, There, there is no daughter, there's no cousins or uncles. It's we are a community, together we're going towards that mission. So how do we go? Okay, I have 10 years of experience. Okay, I have a bit more experience. That doesn't mean that, you know, that I know everything, right? This is why I hire other people as well, right? So, So how leaders can go down and when i sit down i don't even like to say that because then it's still layers right how can they sit with their team members and see what they're doing day in day out i've had a few success stories where where i had some ceos and i told them because they were like oh that this doesn't get done like i want blah 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 i said why don't you do it i said for two weeks you're gonna do it from now they're like what well i've been the ceo of this company for many Mm -hmm. years i'm like yeah Well, have you done customer support lately? Do you know what your customers want? Oh yeah, I saw the report. I'm like, no, go speak to a customer, right? Go down, go sit, go sit. We had an office. I said, go sit with your support team and see how challenging that is. The person sat down, there's that CEO, I remember came, I think, a day and said, I can't do this. <laughs> this, this. This is very difficult. I'm like, yes, exactly, right? So you can't just tell people how to do something that they're really trying hard. But suddenly, then you, you would call those customer support members, they'd be like, how can I help you? Yeah. And they'll tell you, they'll, they'll even tell you, oh, we want a, a water fountain closer because we need to answer more, or we want some templates, or we want an automation platform, or we want marketing or, or the website team to put some FAQs and that's going to help us a lot. And those ideas, when you can get them as a leader, those ideas, and then you see the importance of those ideas and you can implement that, you are a servant. You've served your teams. You've unblocked their blockers, right? And and I really believe in that. So so I've experimented with this with a few people. It doesn't work with everybody. Some people just don't want to do it. And usually I, do, I try not to work with those clients, to be honest with you. I, I had a couple of clients that I had to say, I'm sorry, I can't work with you because you are not open to to, to growing yourself. Like your, your personal growth is the humility, is, you know, doing the work that you forgot that is hard. Because if you do that, then you can you can feel one another much better and you can look from their angle. And when you can look from their angle, this is where growth happens if it's self-growth, if it's business growth. All the growth happens there in my opinion.
2: Tim, that's great. Just kind of turning that question back back to you a little bit, like how do you sort of see your benefit to an organization in terms of the blockers you help them remove and and kind of what's big next for you? Like what's what's your growth pattern from here?
1: Yeah, uh, first I'll I'll say uh, how I'm trying to do this with my team. You know, I have a new team. uh, We're only six people. Um, We just started on December fourteenth. We were uh, two co-founders. Now we're six, which is quite fast. In two months, we're at six, and it's going to keep growing. So what I do every morning when I open Slack, right? That's where we communicate. You know, I'll make a quick Loom video. I'll say, "Hey guys, good morning. I'm here. Who can I help today? Who needs some help?" And then I and I'll go and I and I'll look at their messaging and the community. I'm like, oh. I know, I possibly have an idea on how to do that. Can I pitch in a little bit? And they're like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, oh, there was a tool. They're like, oh yeah, but we didn't have the budget hey, I'll create the budget for that because you have this problem, let's do it, right? And then the teams are suddenly becoming much more open on on calling you up when there's a problem, and they're not hiding the problem. And then suddenly they're like, hey, hey, we have this problem now, if you help us now, you know, we might get this um, over the line. Uh, And that that, that really helps. And I'm really new to servant leadership, so I'm not going to speak like I'm the expert, um, but I'm really trying this. This is, uh, you know, last year I was on paternity leave for about six months, and and I've decided that I'm changing how I do work and I and how I manage because I've had some uh, horror horror stories. I've been a bad manager back in the day as well, you know. And and I've seen that, you know. And and finally, maybe becoming a father also helps you, you know. Um, step back and look at things again and and reevaluate yourself and your growth and so on. So, um, but Tracy, you asked me what's next for me. Um, yeah. I'm about to launch Tool Time Tim, as Mike mentioned. So Tool Time Tim will be a stream where I will try to help even more people by uh, me testing tools because I'm addicted to testing tools and trying things, right? So so try to help people getting that knowledge quicker, right? By my failures, by my failures, to be honest with you, and, and my, my winnings, hopefully, as well sometimes. And then the next thing is really, it's what we've been discussing a little bit, and it's, a, it's not a secret anymore because I've spoken to in a few podcasts, is I'm writing a book and my my book is about a framework that I've created, which is called, and I, I will, I will share it. It's called the GCO framework, which is goals, challenges, and opportunities. And basically this framework that I've been working on and I've I'm, I'm actually a master's professor as well or 20% of my time and I haven't mentioned that but I'm at SA if you're aware Tracy here and GBS sometimes as well and and I've uh, my students has helped me on multiple projects and this project was a huge project with that uh, we work with a bunch of my students and we've done a lot of research on goal-setting on challenges on collective intelligence on knowledge management and so on and I've been able to find Finally, because I've been testing this GCO anyways, but without being a framework, without being very official, now I'm officializing that. And it's it's the goals part is like an OKR 2.0, right? So it's a new way of doing OKRs. Uh, but it ties it to challenges. To Your challenges are your blockers, are, are your issue log, are the things that are not moving forward, right? The things that I've been saying about unblocking. And then to challenges, all your team is a flat, completely flat structure framework where everybody's opportunities, everybody's challenges are equally respected and so suddenly any team member can see the challenge of a customer support member or or even the ceo could be have a challenge right and anybody else can see this challenge and bring an opportunity Mm -hmm. to the game you know and they can bring an opportunity everybody will talk about the opportunity they will score this opportunity with with prioritization frameworks as we know right the rice the pie the ice many many prioritization frameworks i'm not gonna get into right now and then you're finding out what are the best opportunities uh, on the table right so I'm writing a book about this. I started to become vocal about this. This is why I, I do recommend you know, going on my LinkedIn because I post a lot about servant leadership and, and collective intelligence and this type of stuff. Um, that's gonna be my growth because I hate writing, to be honest. You know, I like documenting videos and, and, and flowcharts as mentioned earlier. So, so writing a book for me, is a massive challenge. And,
0: um, you know, and I'm very excited, hopefully, by the end of the year to have it completed. That's really exciting, Tim. Well, uh, I'd encourage everybody to go find uh, Tim on LinkedIn. Um, and that's Tim, C-A-K-I-R. And we'll, of course, include Tim, your LinkedIn uh, in the show notes. And yeah, I'm just excited to to follow along. And I can't wait to read the book um, whenever you do release it. Um, but I know that this has been such a, a helpful podcast. And I think so many things that our listeners will resonate with. So, Tim, wish you the best of luck uh, moving forward and, and yeah, I can't wait to, to check in with you and, and continue this dialogue. Um, I think that there's so much goodness that, that we've uncovered, um, uh, before we log off, everybody would encourage everybody to, uh, give us a five-star review, give us a like and a subscribe, uh, that really helps us to go to the podcast and continue to bring on new guests like Tim who can share, uh, their experiences. But before we sign off, Tim, anything else that you'd want to share with, with our listeners?
1: Well, I'd like to thank you all, uh, you guys, especially for an amazing conversation. And I hope that, yeah, it's valuable uh, to your audience, to your listeners. And uh, I hope that when the book is out, I'll definitely send you guys a copy as well. And awesome. I'd love your everybody's feedback on implementing these in your in your businesses. Um, and I hope that we can maybe continue uh, the chat another day. And, um, you know, I'd love to come back. Uh, you guys are an awesome bunch of people here. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Tim, please keep us posted. We'll definitely share when the book's published. We can share it uh, to our audience and make sure that they know about the launch. And And we'd love to have you back anytime. So thanks again Thank for joining you. us. And uh, for all of our listeners out there, we'll, uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you. You've been listening to Building Teams with Teams and Co. To learn more about the latest thinking on how to empower your team to deliver exceptional results or to book a consultation, please visit us at teamsinco.com or follow us at LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Mention of particular products or services and participation of a guest does not imply an
0: endorsement by Teamsenco. Co. The information provided is for educational and entertainment purposes and should not be taken as professional advice.